0: I'm Jonathan Frakes, and you're listening to Jazz Is
1: Not What You Think. Hi, I'm Michael Fagan here with a very exciting episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. You all know him as Commander Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation, Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan is here to talk about Star Trek and some things you probably didn't know about him, including his love for jazz. Hi, Jonathan. How are you?
0: Hi, Michael. I'm fine, man.
1: Well, great to have you on the show, I, like millions of others. I've been a big fan for a long time, and I've seen your acting, your what you've directed.
0: That's my fastball. I see
1: it. it. You know, I and that that was going to be. My next question is, do you, you know, you mentioned in your email to me that you, you're a fan of a lot of a very variety type of jazz. So you were, I, I said, well, he likes this style, but he also likes that style. So as a trombonist, I was going to ask you, do you gravitate to Tommy Dorsey, Glenn Miller, or maybe some of the newer guys like Wycliffe Gordon and Trombone Shorty?
0: Roswell Rudd. Roswell Rudd. My dad was a big uh, jazz fan. So every, every night at dinner, we'd have uh, music. Generally, it was jazz of some sort, you know, Ellington or Basie or Sarah Vaughan or Billy Holiday. And um, occasionally it was musicals, Sondheim, et cetera. But, but there was always, it was an influence on my, as far back as I could remember. And I've carried that on and I've shared it with my kids. And some of it has stuck. But uh, Lawrence Brown was one of my favorite trombone players. Bob Brookmeyer, mm-hmm. you know who he is? Brookmeyer, sure, sure. But I, I didn't
1: play Valve. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, Bill Clinton once told me that um, that he he loved being nice a musician. And it, I'm sorry. Nice name drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little, a little bit of a name drop there. But uh, actually, I interviewed him with Herbie Hancock and um, another name drop. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that uh, President Clinton told us was that, you know, he never really intended to be a professional jazz musician. But the fact that he did it and got pretty good at it, it changed his life forever in the way that he deals with things, democracy on the bandstand, things that you think about when you're on the stage with other performers. Um, did that have maybe some effect on you with your you know, acting career and all the other things you've done in your life, creative uh, initiatives?
0: That's a really, really good question. I was listening to a, uh, a podcast with Jeff Bridges the other day, and he was talking about all the great directors he's worked with, and obviously the actors he's worked with. And he kept referring to the best takes, the most fun is when you're jamming. And that's, um, so there's certain aspect of, like our next generation, we were so familiar with each other in terms of our personalities, our rhythm, our characters, that when it was going well, it was, uh, you know, it was like music. And when it was, when it wasn't, it was. We, we could sometimes find it, but they were so, they were so um, opposed to improvisation on our show. We had to call the office that we changed from, from is not to isn't to add You know, it was that it was that they thought it was Shakespeare that we <laughs> So They have the freedom to improvise, which some writers and some showrunners do, is not unlike giving musicians. You know. You play, the, you play the melody and then give the trumpet player some, and the sax player and then <laughs> give the drummer some, as they say. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> so you've done, I mean, in, earlier in your career off-Broadway, and one of the things I've always thought about, and again, it's, it's because I, like you, gravitate to jazz, is that sometimes when I'm seeing a live performance and I'm seeing a soloist mm-hmm. and seeing them do something remarkable, but it's in the moment. And it's being captured sometimes, no. sometimes on, on film, sometimes not. Sometimes it's just the audience there that's catching that moment. And I always find that, uh, again, because I'm a horrible musician, that how, it is, how does that relate, especially since you've done film, Broadway, insofar as there's a lot of pressure on that performer at that moment in time. When, when you're doing film, you can do another take.
0: Exactly right. You make a really good point. It's great to be around, uh, especially an intimate concert situation or a club where, where you see somebody go, and then they go, and they go 16 more, and then they go 16 more, and they do stuff that blows your mind. And, and you know that only the people in the room and only the people on the bandstand experienced exactly that, and it'll never be like that again. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's very exciting
1: yeah it's 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 something that you know it, and again because you, you you spent most of your life in film i always look at it when i'm ca- when i'm seeing that moment i'm like gosh i wish someone was recording this
0: yeah it's exactly right but when you're doing a play each night as i'm sure you've heard a million times each night is different and if you've been in a run of a play you you look for something different to do i i worked with a guy one time an old canadian character actor he said watch this i'm going to take I'm going to get uh, four laughs in that's in this speech and I'm going to take two laughs out of the next speech. And he'd get out and he would, he would deliver. And at the same time, he was showing me showing off about how he could play the speech. It was very, I'm not sure it was very professional, but it, it certainly proved a point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned before, but tell me some of your, your favorite jazz artists, and maybe we can maybe talk about them a little bit.
0: Joe Pass, I think, blows my mind. I know blows my mind. Oscar Peterson is uh, mm-hmm. an essential part of my listen, Billy Holiday. Miles. Miles. Whenever I'm asked, is there anything anyone you'd like to meet in history?
1: I always say, uh, Pete Ellington. Do you ever meet any uh, of, of these icons, uh, either no longer these, with us or still around? I was at the um, the Newport Jazz Festival in
0: in the 70s, maybe 71, 72, and we had worked our way backstage, and Ellington, I don't know who was in his band at the time, had just gotten back into his limousine. We were like screaming fans after the Beatles, and he, <laughs> he was in the back of the limo, and, and he brought the window down. and he, Stuck. He had that great process. Remember, at, at the end of his life, he had that cool hair. Yeah, he, yeah. He stuck his head out the stage, and he put his head out. I, thought, well, I saw Duke Ellington. I said, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've uh, again. Uh, I'm not gonna. I guess I am gonna drop some names here. Well, but, you got to um, look what
0: you look. I mean, I, I was watching uh, Kenny Loggins. That was your drop yesterday when I was I opened up the email. I was like, oh he, well he's had some real people on here.
1: Yeah, it, Kenny, you know because most people don't know his affiliation with jazz, but mm-hmm. yet it's as you saw there's there's a lot of things that he's done with some great jazz artists. Yeah. But the the one artist that I've always been a huge fan of because I loved his eclecticism and his just doing whatever he wanted was Miles. Yeah. And, I never um, understood Miles. I I was a little scared. I saw him once.
0: I do. You know who else I, I should have mentioned who was very big in my house and still with me now is Thelonious Monk, who a lot of people oh, yeah. really, really hate. And uh, my wife's not crazy about listening to Monk. few people are, but the absurdity and the uh, the, the thinking that goes into his melodies and his rhythms that just sure. blow my mind. And Charlie yeah, Monk and- play sax for him. He always, I thought... What, what must it be like to be a Thelonious Monk's band?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Charlie Parker, the thing that, you know, a lot of people, when they start getting into someone like Charlie Parker, they say, well, the, the innovation. You know, we hear a lot of things today, and if you go back and listen to the earliest recordings of that style, you say, well, jazz didn't sound like that before that recording, that album, that artist. And, you know, things like jazz well, with he- strings. Uh, the first jazz with strings album, song. Charlie Parker.
0: I read his um, a biography of him last year, and what a fascinating life! But also, yeah. Charlie Parker was one of those players where he, it was like Oscar Peterson or Art Tatum—you, you didn't believe that people could play the instrument that fast or that cleanly, or that
1: they couldn't fit that many notes into that small amount of time. The uh, the music sounded and techniques of other musicians were different after that artist arrived and did their thing. Yes, and they uh, influenced and I, everybody around them. Yes, like you can't say like, for instance, if I if I write a piece and I say how much I love Michael Brecker, uh-huh. I'll get a lot of mail saying, well, you know, how come you didn't mention Coltrane? Well, of course, when you, you realize that he was so influenced by Coltrane, that, of course, by mentioning Michael Brecker, you, you, are you mentioning- can't help but acknowledge Coltrane. So any albums that are ones that you keep going back to that you just can't stop listening to?
0: No, I, I lost my um, vinyl in all many moves in my life. So I'm now, I'm now really into the... Uh, my Apple feeds me. New artists uh, once a week and a, a chill tape once a week. And I have, you know, I generally, if I'm relaxing, or I play a lot of uh, cards and chess and Scrabble. And I like to have instrumental jazz. And I, I call for Joe Pass a lot because I like those yeah. Joe Pass duets. I like Pass and Basie. Another one, I remember um, Basie. And the simplicity of, the, of what he didn't play was so fascinating to me but you, yeah. you would, he would d- just choose to the plank to pop in. and he, i read uh, a yeah. book about him one time and i and it stuck in my brain he said basie said uh, it, it, you,
1: <laughs> whatever it is he said it, it must swing at all times yeah and the space between the notes i mean the, the the thing that basie and and other great artists have done is it's, it wasn't a, necessarily about playing fast all the time. It was oh. that time period between the note that was so perfectly created. And when that note came, the next note came, you were like, ah, I do no. just know how to do this. Like Most acting, kind of right?
0: <laughs> you know, you, you yeah, you make a very good connection. And I think the good actors have it, either intuitively or instinctively or consciously, that sense of how important rhythm is so much like music.
1: Yeah. You you mentioned something about when you're 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 at home, listening to music, playing cards or chess. And, um, and so, you know, one of the things I have to ask since your wife is a a famous actor, um, do, do you suffer the same fate I do sometimes when I'm at home listening to something that's just, I'm just so into it. It's so spectacular. And I hear from the other room, can you turn that down or turn it off? Yeah, yeah. Chicken music. <laughs> That's, yeah, she, um,
0: Absolutely. And it's because Genie uh, was raised on a different kind of music, you know. I think you have to, I, ironically, though, Jeannie's father, he was a disc jockey in Montreal who introduced Oscar Peterson to Canada. Wow. And Peterson was from Montreal as well. Yeah, yeah. So this is back in the day. No, I have exactly the same reaction from from Jeannie that you get <laughs> and one of my kids um my son really likes eccentric what's the name of that band now um i was gonna say stinky puppy but it's uh
1: oh uh, snarky puppy snarky puppy he loves yeah he turned me on to yeah. that and uh well, that con- have you checked him out because the concept is very interesting on what michael it's a little Lee weather isn't it well, it's, it's a little weather reporting, contemporary jazz back in the 80s kind of yeah. thing. But, but the thing that they do that's really fascinating, and I, you'd get a kick out of it, I believe, if, if you check them out, is they have a relatively small audience with maybe a dozen or more members in the band and maybe 25, 30 people in the audience all wearing headphones. Really? And, and basically listening to as if they're in the studio every nuance of what's happening during that sort of live date, if you would, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a production for sure. And that's what their,
0: that's what their concerts are, are the ability to be in the room with them.
1: Well, that's kind of their shtick if you would, but Uh they do festivals as well where that type of environment is you couldn't do it. But if you check out some of their videos where they're doing that, That's really their forte and what they've done better than anyone else. It's sort of, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say an instrumental steely Dan, but you have all these phenomenal musicians like they're in the studio and you're there with them with the headset on grooving.
0: That's a really cool
1: idea. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated by it to the point where I actually thought about, you know, should we be doing these things? In fact, I've talked to some, a lot of musicians about, you know, shouldn't we be doing more of this, especially now that we do so many things virtually and, uh, you know, there's the, you know, the, the talent out there is just immense. There's so many just phenomenal musicians that if you can connect them using technology that we have today and introduce that concept and and do a lot of recordings like that, you know, I I think, I think snarky puppy's onto something. And I, I can only imagine that someone's going to try to you know emulate copy whatever you want to call it this style that they do
0: that's really clever i'm in, I'm intrigued by that
1: so you' a mix, couple of their videos
0: essentially in the in the mix with them in the in the
1: studio you're you're right there you're right there with them you're sitting right you're almost it's almost like you're on stage, but they usually do it in a large room uh-huh. uh sometimes a recording studio but large so that you can have you know an audience uh and they're and they're 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 great musicians and and the thing that's really interesting that appeals to a a younger audience is there's there's that high-tech weather report sort of session player thing happening but there's also the jam band kind of thing happening at the same time like fish and like like a fish which which for those that don't know that um, jonathan played on a fish record in fact (laughs) if i if i recall the stats that was the best-selling studio album that they've ever done. They did so many live records, but that was their best-selling studio album. And your track is is about as avant-garde as it gets for a jam band.
0: Can I tell you the story?
1: Sure, I'd love to hear it. So,
0: I used to live on Lookout Mountain, Hollywood, and my next-door neighbor was a music producer named Paul Fox, who did uh, Bjork and Jacob Dylan, R.E.M., and Fish at one point, and the guys in Fish would come up and rehearse in this building that was between Paul and my house, and uh, they were also Trekkers, as it turned out, mm-hmm. so, and they knew I played the trombone, so they invited me to come to the studio and play with them. Now, needless to say, I was thrilled, right? Sure. But I get to the studio, which is out in the West Valley somewhere, and they put the charts up, and I'm and I'm, I'm good. I've never been a great player. I was good, and this by this point in my life, I had stopped practicing. So my embouchure was gone. I had almost no top at all. <laughs> but I was gonna fucking do it. I just, I'm just so excited. <laughs> these cool guys, you know, I'm like 20 years older than all of them. But This is so sure. fucking cool. It's gonna be great. there. <laughs> <laughs> So I attempted I attempted, as you can see on the album, starting this cut that they wanted me to play on, I, with the charts. And um, it was clear to all of us that this isn't what <laughs> this wasn't gonna work out, right? <laughs> so we had a nice time and we had lunch and we had a cup of coffee or whatever and it was yeah. a wonderful time. and then ultimately they hired that wonderful trombone player who you probably know his name from Tower of Power. Oh, sure. Anyway, so he did, the, yeah. he did the session. But they were so nice and so so fanboyish. This house that I lived in had a mailbox that was, uh, you've seen them. You've seen the ones that look like a trout. This was a, a mailbox that was looked like a, a, a cow. It was white with black spots. You've seen that? Yep, yep. But it had been hit by a lot of cars trying to park. So it was dented and kind of beat up. So they took the outtakes of my failed attempt to perform this song on the uh, Hoist album, and they put together—it's like a 29-second cut on the on the um, record—and they called it Riker's Mailbox. And then Paul gave me, which I have in my house in LA, a uh, a gold album or a platinum album, I think. Yeah. It was one of the highlights of my career, and in many people's (laughs) moments the coolest credit next to being married. Jeannie Francis, of course.
1: it the be cool. <laughs> Good save. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that, that is... Um, you know, look, I, I mean, even, even with your kids, it, there's a cool factor there that, you know, Dad played on Fish album.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then we came up uh, to Maine, and John Fishman was in the next town over, and he was buying this farm, Titus Welliver's old painter who bought this farm, and Jeannie was looking at the same farm. So we were out there, after he had bought it he was thinking about moving back to vermont and jamo who at this point was <clears throat> maybe six maybe eight fishman put him on his drums up in the barn at this farm. And i got pictures of jamo playing john fishman's drums
1: uh so there's great. a lot of, lot of uh, fish in there you know it's funny because i i have uh, i have kids that are as old as 31 and i have a four-year-old and and there's something about their you know they when I do these podcasts, my 13 year old she wants to know is, when are you going to interview Paul McCartney? Oh,
0: really? 13 year old.
1: <laughs> my 13 year old. That's kind fabulous. Of yeah, and uh, but that that's great thing. That you... yeah. So, any when,
0: of your are kids when are kids musicians going to
1: interview Paul McCartney? Um, hopefully soon. Uh, you when know, one of the things I want to talk to Paul about is because every question that could ever be thought of have, has already been asked to Paul a million times and he's tired of it, but. I'd love to talk to him about uh, the plethora of wonderful jazz interpretations of Beatles songs.
0: Yeah, that's uh, a good.
1: And s- some of them are just spectacular. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they're better than the original, but I, what I would say is that some of these artists, musicians, they're so creative yeah. on how to you know, approach you know, a you know, Lennon you know, and McCartney tune. Run. I'm trying to think um, of Norwegian wood that they just crushed. I, I think the. Uh, Diana Kroll covers some Beatles songs too, doesn't she? She does. The, the, one, the one that sticks out for me um, that when I got, I'll set it up, when I got this record, I was like, I cannot believe an artist of this caliber is doing a whole album of, of covers. And it was actually Pat Metheny yeah. who did an acoustic guitar solo album of covers. And what was amazing about that album, and as I, I picked it as my favorite album of the year that year, is that he is one of the few artists that can take, you know, a, a, the association, the Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, and make the tune his own, and talk about the space between the notes and when to come back in. Yeah, it's absolutely magnificent. It's uh, the album is called. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a it's a part of a lyric of a, a act tune. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but, it, but it's his, his one guitar, acoustic guitar solo album. And it's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of the name in just a second, or my producer's going to come up with it and let me know. Yeah, we'll, we'll come uh, I was going to ask you something silly. Can I, yeah. Am I allowed to ask silly questions? I wish you would. Okay, is, is, is the trombone your organ?
0: <laughs> it used to be. I used to. I, I uh. I was doing a, a mini series called North and South with my beautiful wife Jean. And we were shooting in Natchez, Mississippi. And uh, we would meet on Friday. We'd meet at this place called Under the Hill, which was a bar down by the Mississippi River. And it was a trio. Of, uh, it actually was a quartet: and a sax, a piano, bass, and drums. And they played, every Friday night, I think. <clears throat> or Thursday night, and eventually I got the guts to ask if I could sit in. And I used to, I used to play Don't Get Around Much Anymore, Summertime, mm-hmm. and maybe one other number. And, and I sat in with the band, and Jeannie, who I was flirting with and falling deeply in love with, would sit at the end of the bar and watch me play. So we were down there for ages. So hours. it worked. Well, it, in a way. And then the guys said to me, you know, if you want to, because in North and South, I was like number 103 on the call sheet. So I was, you know, I was on hold a lot. <laughs> and she was the so, so the band said, you know, we, we get other gigs if you'd like to join the band. We play in Jackson and Hattiesburg and Natchez. And to me, I thought, oh my God, this is like, this is really a dream. Is there any way? <laughs> so I said to Jeannie, I said, I'm, I'm thinking about Joining this band. What do you you think? She she shook me, I guess, and told me, you know, remember the old joke that the uh, definition of a trombone player, no, an optimist is a
1: a trombone player with a beeper. That was the illness. I've not heard that one. So that's great. Well, um, tell me about, tell the audience about sunspots. Because I actually, I really, I'm assuming Sunspots was kind of take off on the ink spots. Yeah,
0: I think um, that was Brent's clever wit, just like the title of the album, Old Yellow Eyes is back.
1: Old Yellow Eyes, I loved it. Um, it so it was, it was you and, and some other members of was, Star it Trek. It
0: was LeVar and Patrick and Dorn and myself. And Patrick did uh, a beautiful uh, speak talk of, it's a sin to tell a lie. Uh-huh. And we sang a little harmony, and it was recorded. Brent's a brilliant tenor and a wonderful singer, and love he does a he does like a Vegas style show on the Star Trek cruise. He is a he's the yeah. real wow. deal. Wow! But very 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 traditional. A lot of um, a lot of standards. A lot of uh,
1: like American Songbook
0: kind yeah, of American things. Yeah, American Songbook exactly. Rogers and Hammerstein, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so he invited us to do this, and it happened that it was in L.A., as you probably know, it never, ever, ever rains. But it was a rainy, rainy night. It was pouring down rain. So we had hats on and we had raincoats on, which felt sort of on L.A. And we were just, you know, we knew each other because we'd been working together every day for, for years. But this was such a different thing for us. Mm-hmm. And it's all of us still hold it as one of our, fondest kind of intimate friendship memories and that record which i thought was wonderful is either out of print or hard to get or or something it seems very weird to me i do yeah, I, I, with him. And he, he, he should have copies of it at his desk
1: <laughs> yeah i, I remember that there was a controversy about that where it was released in germany first but it he did uh, brent didn't approve it and then it never got or went out of print like you said in the u.s you know um I'm going to, I'm going to name drop again. Um, Uh I owned a jazz label in the Verve group back in the nineties. Wow. And, uh, my, my partner, uh, is, you may know guitarist Lee Rittenauer. Oh my goodness. And, and, and Lee and I had this wonderful label and we had our third partner was a very well-known, uh, record label exec named Mark Wexler, And, um, and we had this label and we signed everyone from, you know, neoclassical to smooth jazz to Al right. And And um, it was a Verve. I was looked,
0: was it called Verve? It, it was, a,
1: it, yeah, it was in the Verve group. It was called IE Music. Okay. And what was, what was kind of interesting about the label is obviously Verve didn't need us to sign jazz artists. Right. But because of, because of our relationships, Lee as a producer, Mark as a, a exec, and me sort of on the media side, um, we were able to attract a lot of really good talent. And we also knew how to market those records. Um, and, um, and I was looking for projects like you're talking about. And I mean, I would have loved to do oh, to something Brent with Bryant. you and Brent.
0: Oh my God.
1: And the I mean, crossover, it, the cashing in. It is, it is because we're always looking for a new audience. So yeah. you take, you know, your audience and you say, well, here's something I want to introduce you to something new. You playing, Brent singing, a couple other members, you know, you know, we've seen a lot of actors that have become artists, you know, recording artists. I mean, uh, most recently that was surprised everyone. And some arguably say she's good or not so good. I actually think she does a pretty good job is Molly Ringwald. And uh, Molly did a couple of projects on Concord records where she did standards and she had a a good band with her. Um, But what's interesting, it becomes the envy of, of, if you would, real professional jazz singers who someone like Molly Ringwald can come out with an album and sell a hundred times the number of copies uh, that someone who's maybe arguably more talented, but it has to do with the fact that you have a, a built-in fan base that says, exactly. "I want to hear, I want to hear what Jonathan Frakes can do and on, they to on, be a, good. on a musical instrument." It's, it's all about. Yeah, and that. if you're good, then that's 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 a bonus. Um, and, hey,
0: who's, and, on my, who's on my playlist? Whenever it, it plays my favorites over and over, is uh, Hugh Laurie sings all those wonderful Laurie,
1: Sure, sure, yeah, and, and you mentioned Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges um,
0: there, he I, plays all the time, and the guy from, uh, from Newsroom, Jeff Daniels, also has a band, he and his brothers. He,
1: yeah, I actually, I had a whole list here of, uh, of, of artists, uh, of, of basically uh, movie stars who became, uh, well, the first thing, there are a lot of jazz artists played in movies. I mean, you, you, Sinatra is certainly the one that comes yeah. to mind but um you know peggy lee louis armstrong dexter gordon uh, julie london uh you know harry connick junior has been in a lot of movies uh but then the other way around um you know we have i, I believe is your friend seth McFarlane. he's actually who, a very good singer yes
0: yes and and, and, he, and, and, he, it, and he he is supporting live i mean his uh i I worked with him on orville he always hires whole 82 85 90 piece orchestra to score his movies and very few people still do that he's a huge supporter of, of musicians in, in la
1: he's like brent though he yeah. is an old school american songbook crooner and he's but, got the croon down i mean it's it's not he's not trying to do something that he's less capable of he's quite capable he's a little buble uh, he's a he's buble-ish buble-ish He's,
0: he's funny. Yeah, you don't look Buble, but he's Buble. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and and Michael Buble. You know, it's funny because early, in his early days in Reprise, you know, he he kind of you know there was a sort of people were a little too critical of him. They said you know he's a S- Sinatra wannabe. It's you know bar mitzvah jazz, whatever. Yeah. Um, but he actually came into his own, and when he started writing his own music, people then. Step, step back and say, ah, this guy's pretty talented. He and, pretty uh,
0: talented. I, and, he does a great show. I saw his show live. And I was very impressed with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the, um, so, you, have you ever thinking, thought about doing a, uh, I'm, I'm not pitching you. I don't own a record label anymore, but, um, doing a recording? I mean, obviously you've done with Fish and that, that that's your. I would, uh, first of all, you, I need to get my,
0: my, my lip back. But, um, there's a group of people from a group of actors from Star Trek who call themselves the, uh, the Rat Pack. And Johnny Phillips, Ethan Phillips, who was on Voyager, plays tenor. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the guys just sing and do shtick. But Johnny plays, and he plays well, and he plays seriously, and he keeps saying, pick it back up, get it, and we'll, we'll do a, a couple of songs. It's, really, it's a matter of putting it back on your schedule.
1: Do you play? I am the worst guitar player in the world, and 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 and, I, and the sad part is I've been playing since I was very young, yeah. but the the truth is is that I I am often intimidated because, you know, for example, I I'd be out to you dinner with Rittenhour, <laughs> yeah, and and someone will come up to us and they'll say, oh, and they'll of course recognize Lee, they don't know who the hell I am, and Lee will say, oh by the way, this is Michael Fagan, the, the founder of Jazz Is. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I'm a subscriber. And so we'll start talking and they'll say, do you play an instrument too? And I'll say, yeah, I play guitar. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that was so dumb. No, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know how to play. Yeah, we play uh, Because you, when you're in the, in the presence of greatness, it's sort of like, I, I don't even want to say that I play guitar.
0: Yeah, that's the way it was on Star Trek. when, um, In the first season, uh, Morris Hurley, who was one of the showrunners, or one of the head writers, mm-hmm. took me to lunch. And we had a long... Maybe a couple of drinks, and and uh, he asked me about myself, and in that he found out that I played trombone, that I love jazz, that it was part of, you know, as you found out. And so, fast forward a couple of months, I'm on the holodeck with um, Minuet playing the trombone, and uh, I think I was playing um, it was another standard, Moonlight becomes you. Mm-hmm. So I can play. I, I I played it okay. And then they had me playing in Ten Forward, which was Whoopi's Bar on, on, the, on, the, on the spaceship on the Enterprise. And the playing goes a little better. So I, I was okay, just like with the uh, fish situation. I could play a little bit. And when they <laughs> showed me practicing, I was okay with that. But when, the, when trombone playing on Star Trek was really good, it was Bill Wattress. Yeah. Wow. Who, oh, I guess great. He's, no, he's no longer with us, right?
1: I, I, I think he passed, yeah. Boy, he was a good um, player. I haven't, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think of that. I haven't heard anything from him in years. Yeah, and
0: he was in uh, but,
1: McCarthy's band. He was, he was in our composer's
0: inner circle, and so he, but boy, he was a good player. I used to see him at clubs in
1: L.A., Today's episode of Jazz is Not What You Think is brought to you by the Jazzes Vinyl Club. The Jazz's LPs are 180 gram color virgin vinyl and they're sent to you every quarter. They're curated by our editors selecting some of the best music out today. Go to jazzes.com, click on join Vinyl Club and start your membership to the Vinyl Club today. You'll be glad you did. There was only one scene that I remember in Star Trek where you actually, uh, you were playing, and there may have been more that I forget or didn't see, that you were with Dina Troy. She was telling you something along the lines, and I actually just found it. This is, you were playing the trombone, and she said, this is a much better way of communicating with you. It's far less confusing than the way you normally speak.
0: <laughs> Do you that remember sounds, that? I don't, but it sounds very Star Trek and very wise. <laughs>
1: yeah. So 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 now that we know you're you're hooked on jazz um I, I'm not pitching you here I'm thinking you know with Brent and the other players that you know Yeah,
0: Brent and be, it,
1: Paul, there, there's something yeah, in there it, there there could be something really interesting um and I I'm, I'm a, you, you probably know some other you know outside well, of track, the way some, to go some, I think the
0: way to go would to, to get um Seth to put it together cuz Seth has access to this orchestra at Fox and, and he's a big fan of Brent's as well. I think that's a really good idea.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I think there'd be people that... Are, the, the thing that I love about that is, you know, you introduce people to jazz. You know, one of the things that I've kind of prided myself on, I've been doing this for 40 years. And like you, it, it wasn't my original profession to be a jazz guy. Um, but what I've enjoyed is introducing people to jazz. And while... Our, our audience isn't necessarily all jazz aficionados but a lot of them we've turned into jazz aficionados yeah. and it's kind of like wine once you start tasting the good stuff it's that's it's, what happens it, with
0: your kids when you play good stuff for their kids for your kids it's like your daughter wants to hear paul mccartney they know what's good you know and it's a it's a very exciting i remember watching um when marsalis introduce a piano player named uh, I think his name is Joey Alexander. He's like a sure, sure. Yeah. And it blew my mind. And it blew my mind because he was so young, but it it shouldn't have so, blown yeah. my mind. It was just it was a kid who happened to have the chops and listened to the music as Paris raised him on the music.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's definitely he's he's since I've been in the business, he is the the youngest well, not just pianist, but uh jazz musician who has really As he gets older, because, you know, what happens with with those kids, and I think you see it in in acting as well, there's a little bit of a novelty when they're so young and and, and, and you you look at them, they're so precocious. And then how do you rise above that when you're now he's a he's a teenager and he's no longer a cute little I mean, he's a cute guy, but he's no longer that little boy. Yeah. And 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 yet he keeps coming out with great music, which hopefully will take him for decades to come. Yes, because he's that good.
0: We have a tradition in our house on the Friday after Thanksgiving when everybody gets together. We go out for jazz night. Wow! And this year, and, and it's always determined by who's in town. This year, up at uh, Herb Albert's club reopened that called Vibrato. Uh, yeah. yeah. And we went to hear a singer I'd never heard of. His name was Billy Valentine. Do you know who he is?
1: You know, I don't know Billy Valentine. I've heard that his name before, but it it seems like you know a stage name. Um, Yeah, exactly.
0: This guy was my age, had a fabulous act, great sax player, great rhythm section, and I thought that. And he's been doing this his whole life, like we have. And he just happened to be the one who had the Friday night after Thanksgiving slot, and we all of us, my wife, who's not a huge jazz fan, but the kids and their their, uh, partners, They're a great night, and he did a lot of that. cross. So he did a little yeah. Bill Withers and all that kind of stuff. But he was a jazz singer, who was, I would say, seventy into his seventies, and just had it. And I thought it's such a it's a tough profession anyway, being a musician, yeah. offered being a jazz musician.
1: Beyond my proposal for you to do an album with your friends, no. what, is, what is on the horizon for, for Jonathan Frakes these days? Any, any books you're writing or never, shows you're working on? I never wrote a book.
0: That's a, a misnomer. My name is on a book. And I'll okay. Tell you, I'll reveal to you the painful truth about that. Okay. I, I was approached by a publishing company to lend my name to the title of this um, fiction, which I think is a... Uh, never read it, but I I believe it's sort of a sci-fi thriller, I don't know what it is, but um, my producing partner at the time read the book and she said, it's okay, go ahead. And and they offered me money. So it's written by someone else. His name is on the title. My name is on the title. Huge. Which is, I mean, it's whoring in the worst sense of the word, but it's, it's particularly bad for me because my father, the one who introduced me to jazz who was an English professor. And in addition to being an English professor, was a book critic for the New York Times and for the Cleveland Claimers. And the idea that I, as his son, pretended to write a book is such an anathema. And I'm so embarrassed and ashamed of being such a whore about making money. But that's always, I always try to say, no, 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 I didn't write this book. I was just being greedy. And it's a, so there's a little candor
1: no, that's. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't know that. In fact, the, um, the uh, my assumption is based on what based on what you just said is you have no interest in, in, in writing a book.
0: No, I have no interest in writing a book. I'm happy. I'm very grateful. Grateful that I learned how to direct, which has kept me busy. I, I've just finished uh, an episode of Strange New Worlds, which is the newest of the Star Trek, which is a blast.
1: Wow. And then I'm When's that out?
0: They just finished their first season on the air and the next, next season will start probably beginning of the year. I did an entire season of Picard, which is mm-hmm. Patrick's show in which those of us from his past come back. So season three of Picard has us in it. So I, I got my uh, spacesuit back on. Wow. And I go back up to Toronto. I work on another Star Trek show called discovery, which is, um, 900 years into the future. And I had a series that I was a host of, it was called Beyond Belief Factor. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, Germany is rebooting their version of it, which is called X Factor. So I'm about to go back to LA and do eight episodes of that. So I'm blessed to be busy and grateful to be in Maine currently, looking out at the at the sea. And grateful. Well, so to, actually, I really, I didn't know what this was going to be like, but I, because you reached out to my. Um, my business, or my uh, accountant, is how Barbara said this to me. I always say, "Oh boy," but for you, <laughs> for, the,
1: for the angle,
0: I said, "I'm
1: intrigued," and here we are. Well, thanks. Well, oh, I, I I appreciate that. Thank you very much. The uh, the chance to meet you and get to know more about you, and and for the audience to know about your your jazz Jones,
0: <laughs> I think
1: is wonderful. And I uh, really. And, Keep Hope we up. can do this again sometime. Yeah, thank you, thank you for your compliments as well, and appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Till next time. Peace out.